Welcome to Life Solved from the University of Portsmouth. In this podcast, we explore the research that's coming out of collaborations across the university and the way it's set to change our lives today and in the future. In the last episode of this series, we're hearing from Karen Johnston, Professor of Organisational Studies on how women and gender equality are represented in public sector organisations around the world. I think it is really important to improve the representation of not just women, but people with disabilities, British ethnic minorities, because as I said, it does impact upon the performance of an organisation. It impacts upon the quality of decision making, Mm. because otherwise you just have groupthink taking place. Karen is passionate about how potential improvements in our public organisations can make a better society for us all. I was born in South Africa during apartheid and I saw a lot of inequality, a lot of the draconian policies of the apartheid government and it just focused my mind on the scale and scope of government policies and the intervention and how it can shape and engineer people's lives. Hence, my focus is always trying to improve public policy decisions to create a more equal and more inclusive society. Today, we're focusing on a particular area of Karen's research into representation, gender. If you thought the UK was fairly progressive in gender representation compared to other nations, think again. Karen explained how things like politics, education and childcare have left some nations more progressive, whilst other cultures fall behind. There are some countries that have done really well in the representation of women throughout the institutions of public administration. And these are mostly in Central and Eastern Europe. But that's much to do with the legacy of communism, where there was investment in education, an ideology of egalitarianism, approaches to childcare, and this enabled women to enter the workforce, particularly in the public sector. Obviously, other countries fare less well, which these are mostly patriarchal cultures, where there's social, cultural, and religious mores that kind of inhibit women into paid employment, whether it's public or private sector. And then there's a number of countries in the middle. Some of them are liberal democracies, um, like the Netherlands, France, Mm -hmm. Germany, and Ireland and the UK, and where there's been relatively greater legislation on gender equality. So there's often a lack of representation of women in institutions of public administration in these countries, despite all the legislation and policies. So what's holding the UK back? The UK is one of the highest childcare costs in Europe. And also in some countries, you earn less when you are employed in the public sector. So in Germany, for example, you can expect to earn about 23% less in the public sector than you would in the private sector. You would have seen the recent data on the gender pay gap. Mm. So, I mean, I think that's quite evident of discrimination where men and women doing comparable jobs, women are earning less. But I should add, despite the higher representation of women in certain countries, Mm. like in the Ukraine and Russia, 
the proportion of women in public administration institutions is about 70 to 75 percent but not a lot of women reach leadership positions so while some countries may hail that you know they've got great representation of women that doesn't necessarily manifest at higher grades or upper echelons of, of public sector organization now the uk is a very good example of glass ceilings so mm. in local government there's about 70 percent female employment and that's mostly to do with primary and secondary education social yeah. care social work care for the elderly but not many women become local government chief executives and similarly in the nhs 77 percent of the nhs workforce is women most mm. of them are nurses but only like 43% become NHS chief executives. So there's a huge disparity between the representation of women in the workforce reaching senior levels. In fact, Karen says that in higher level organisations, such as government offices and civil service roles, women are not represented as strongly in senior offices. You'll find women concentrated in certain professions, mm-hmm. And certain jobs and mm-hmm. certain careers, like mostly in health, social care and education, and less so in departments like defence, regulatory yeah. agencies like the National Crime Agency and senior positions. And so we call that sort of horizontal, mm. occupational gender segregation, and it's commonly known as glass walls. So you'll find even in the civil service, yeah. like only 30% of permanent secretaries are women. A lot of it's got to do with organisational culture. From Karen's viewpoint, organisations are microcosms of our society and reflect their cultural and gender norms. So how do you tackle that across sometimes enormous public sector organisations? In some of her research, Karen's been looking at how public sector reform and innovation can be supported by working inclusively with communities to give them a voice. How can an institution that doesn't mirror its population fairly represent it? When a public sector organisation is not necessarily inclusive mm. or, doesn't, or doesn't represent communities or doesn't mm. represent protected strands like women, mm. people with disabilities, British ethnic minorities, I think that makes for poor decision-making, which has an impact in how you address problems or mm. issues in society. Also, I think society has, in fact, can legitimately question whether institutions that are supposed to represent them represent them Mm. at all. And for me, that's a fundamental democratic question Mm. and a question of good governance. If you don't have institutions that represent or mirror Mm. its population, then its legitimacy is questionable. And so... I mean, if we have 52% of the population being women, we ought to see 52% Mm. of women represented in institutions Mm. of public administration from every grade up. But we know that's not a reality. Karen says it's all about building trust with communities by allowing people to see themselves represented. And if you want an example of how representation can have real impact, take this headline from one of her studies. There's been many, many studies, including my own, that have shown that where there's better representation, there's better performing public Mm. sector organisations. 
where there is a higher representation of female mm. police officers, there was a higher rate of domestic violence arrest mm. rates. So, female police officers were acting in the interest of women as victims of domestic violence, and that empirically shows the performance of the police can be improved in addressing gender-based violence, sexual mm. assault, domestic violence by increasing the number of female representation mm. and increasing the number of female police officers. At a more senior level that didn't necessarily hold true but then again there's not a lot of females at senior positions in the police because mm. bear in mind the police is quite a masculine yeah. environment and there's lots of research that demonstrated the canteen culture still yeah. exists where there's informal and formal jokes and rituals mm. that value and reward masculinity. Research has shown that introducing fair representation in organisations improves performance due to informed decision-making. Actually enacting policies and laws is at the heart of transitioning inequality in organisations. Karen points out that we still have a gender pay gap in the UK today, although the Equal Pay Act was passed in 1970. Introducing legislation and ticking a box doesn't necessarily mean it's going to introduce change. It, it goes a long way, legislating rights, but there's an implementation deficit. Looking at another real organisation example here in the UK, Karen explains how issues of inequality play out and can lead to skill shortages in some of our most crucial public services. Lots of reforms have been introduced yeah. in the NHS. Lots of studies have been done on the NHS. But none of it's actually looked from a very feminist or gender lens of the, the NHS. So, look at the NHS, everybody goes, oh that's great, 77% of the NHS is women. But then when you disaggregate the data, a large mm. portion of that on nurses and then mm. when you drill down in the data even deeper you find that a large portion of women are graduating from medical school but a lot are going into general practice okay. as opposed to acute surgical careers so the question is also, why, why is that yeah. and what are the implications well the first thing is that general practice offers more of a flexible working mm -hmm. arrangement than acute surgical careers and acute surgical careers, there is a shortage of women. So think of the pipeline of women, more and more women coming into the medical profession, the, the medical profession becoming more and more feminized. And then you're having a skill shortage in surgical careers and professions of women, in, well, women entering those professions and more and more going to general practice. So you're almost having a segregation taking place. Mm. So what are the implications of that? is that you potentially will have a workforce shortage in clinical surgical care. And what inefficiencies does that create? Mm. And how can that be addressed? So borrowing efficiency studies from private sector and trying to put it into the NHS, I can tell you it's not going to work. So they have to fundamentally and innovatively think of ways in which they can work with the Royal Society of Physicians and Surgeons, the British Medical Association, mm. and how can they structure jobs mm. that is inclusive, that creates more of a work-life balance, mm. not just for women, but men, because increasingly yeah. men also want to have a work-life balance. And think of innovative ways in which people can maintain their continuing professional mm. practice, online training and so on.
This interview was recorded prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, where we saw the gender divide widen. Women took up more traditional domestic roles during lockdowns, and domestic and gender-based violence rose for vulnerable individuals, highlighting gender inequalities in our society ever more starkly. However, we also saw an increased uptake of online solutions to flexible working. Perhaps one thing that may enable more flexible roles for both men and women going forwards. And whilst online isn't the answer for every job, consultation and collaboration on the solutions with those impacted will benefit us all. In many institutions of public administration and the public sector, not just in the UK, but internationally, where they think beyond the box of male, pale and stale, I'd like to see improved representation of women in the public sector and in public life in general, but also where policies that are introduced pay due regard to gender equality. Mm-hmm. So if policies are introduced, you know, what is the impact on women? Now, in addition to her work in the UK, Karen has been looking more internationally at the impact of gender representation in different cultures and how that links to sexual violence and gender-based violence. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life Solved. You can find out more about collaborative research from the University of Portsmouth at port.ac.uk forward slash research. And if you're looking for a good read, look up Solve magazine on the website too for insights into other innovative research.